What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that is helpful for you in your walk toward eternity, in your walk toward becoming the particular saint that God our Father desires for you and all of us to be. Here's how the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions per episode dealing with anything and everything from morality to spirituality, relationship advice, discernment, discipleship, evangelization, catechesis, the charisma, whatever. I will then spend time with your questions and try to pray with them, lean into other theologians, have conversations with other disciples and do some study and then respond in a way that hopefully I pray helps you to grow in holiness, helps you to grow in imitation of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Reality is, though, I'm not perfect, and every now and then my advice might not be helpful if that's the case. If my advice does not help you to grow in virtue, I want to give you the freedom to reject whatever it is that I say that is not good for you to become a saint. You can hit me up with your own questions, comments, and critiques on today's show and past shows at AskFatherJosh at AssistantPress.com. You can also rate us and review us on iTunes and other podcast formats and share the podcast on your social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. This, along with your ratings and reviews, helps other people find out about the show. If it's a gift for you and your relationship with our Lord, potentially, it could become a gift for others as well. On today's show, we're going to talk about giving communion, Holy Communion, to non-Catholics at Mass. We're going to talk about essential oils, and we're going to talk about St. Paul's letters in the New Testament, and specifically what does he mean when he's talking about the works of the law. So stay tuned for these topics and more, and let's walk with each other toward heaven. Right, before we get jumping into those topics, I have a glory story I want to share with you all. Yo, so I love my parish. I love the people and my community at Our Lady of the Holy Rosary Catholic Church. They are disciples of Jesus who inspire me every day. And, and recently this week, I got a phone call from one of them in the morning. I was at the seminary um, doing some stuff with um, with with the seminary. Uh, I, I do some work over there too every now and then to help help out. But um, but while I was over there, I got a call from my parishioner and. Basically, she was letting me know a glory story that happened while I was away. And so she said, Father Josh, you know, I don't know where you're at. I said, well, I'm on my way back to campus right now to Holy Road. She said, well, you you just missed something beautiful. She said, Miss Christina was at the gas station and she encountered a woman and the woman appeared to be homeless and she had a baby with her and she, you know, was barefoot and just looked like she was in a really bad place. And so she asked the woman, can I take you to Holy Rosary Catholic Church in Santa Maria, Louisiana, to our Full of Grace Cafe? We have a coffee shop. We have a food pantry. We have a barber shop and a salon. We have diapers for your baby. We can get you groceries. Like, we have a lot of stuff that can help you out. We can get you a meal. Uh, so the woman agreed, came to the Full of Grace Cafe, and immediately the, the people who were there began to just take care of her and love on her and her baby, give her coffee, the food pantry, offer the haircut and everything. And they also offered the most important thing, which was prayer. They offered Jesus to this woman and to her baby. And so they began to pray over this woman. And as this is going on, my other parishioner, Celeste, 
um, was coming to Holy Rosary to check out our new gift shop, Sacred Arts and Gifts of Jesus and Mary, uh, for a friend of hers. And when she got there, the gift shop on Tuesdays opens up around 12. And so she got there a little bit earlier. And so when she walked into the cafe to hang out before the gift shop opened up, she saw all these people praying. And they said, hey, come pray with us. Uh, Miss Karen, who is just a radical disciple of Jesus Christ and, and a prayer warrior and intercessor, invited Celeste to pray with them over this, this, this young lady. And so Celeste begins to join them in prayer. And she looks down. And she notices that the woman is barefoot whenever she opens her eyes from praying. Now, what was crazy about this is that morning Celeste was praying with feet, the idea of feet and the holiness of feet. And, and so she felt the Holy Spirit inspire her to take off her socks and shoes and give them to the woman. Turns out this woman wears the same size shoe as Celeste. So now Celeste is walking around the campus barefoot. But this is the kingdom of God happening, y'all. Like this is what church is all about. Right, taking care of our neighbor, loving our neighbor, and not just taking care of their physical needs, but also making sure that they experience the love of Jesus Christ through the body of Christ, the church. And so I'm on fire. I'm so grateful to be able to walk with these men and women in my parish who are just so authentic. They're radical disciples of Jesus Christ. And, and that's my glory story. And, and so I really want to encourage you to, to, to go out today and to, to, to pay attention to your surroundings. And if you see someone who looks like they may need some help, ask them, like, hey, can, can I pray with you? And is there any way I can walk with you? How can I best accompany you? Because I, I want to I wanna be your friend, um, and I want to share with you the greatest gift that I've received, which is Jesus, now and always. So that's my glory story. All right, before we get to our questions, I have a follow-up that came in from Anonymous. Anonymous writes this, Dear Father Josh, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your wisdom and for answering my question. I praise and thank God for you. Your affirmation of God's love for me, my boyfriend, and our baby was so needed because I've been very anxious and feeling down about my boyfriends and my discernment and about our past mistakes. Thank you for speaking hope and the Father's love into our lives. As an update, my boyfriend surprisingly proposed to me in front of our young adult ministry when we announced to them and asked them for their prayers for our baby. We are continuing to discern and walk together in hope toward completing our marriage prep and receiving the sacrament of matrimony together before our baby is born. Please, please keep us in your prayers and know that we are praying and thanking God always for you. Much aloha, Father Josh, anonymous. And again, I sent in this question about pregnancy before marriage. Anonymous, God bless you. I'm so grateful to hear the good work that God is doing in your life and your boyfriend's life and your beautiful baby's life. And I will continue to pray for y'all. Keep me and all of our listeners updated on your journey. Let us know, right? Send me some pictures of the baby when the baby comes. If y'all get married, send me some pictures of your, your, your wedding. I want to continue to just be a friend to you and to your family. Um, and if we don't ever meet in this life, we will certainly, I pray, be able to meet in heaven and worship God forever, and also intercede for all of our brothers and sisters who are in situations that have been similar to our situations, because no doubt there will be more people who, who find themselves struggling with uh, forgiveness and, 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 and wounds because of past mistakes. And if you become a saint, which I pray you do, and I become a saint, then we can help them. We can like know what they're going through and intercede before Jesus Christ for them now and always. So God bless you, my, my, my holy sister in Christ. All right, let's jump into today's show.
All right, first question comes in about communion and non-Catholic Christians. This person writes this. Hi, Father Josh. Thank you for the gift that is your podcast and for all the wisdom, guidance, and advice you offer us, your brothers and sisters. I'm recently engaged to the love of my life. I'm a devout Catholic, and he is also a devout non-Catholic Christian. We have come a long way in our relationship with understanding each other's faith and beliefs, beliefs and are excited to venture into the sacrament of marriage. One thing that we continue to struggle with and have conversations about is taking communion at Mass. He feels rejected by the church knowing that he cannot take communion, and it breaks my heart to see how it affects him. I understand that we believe bread is the body and wine is the blood and must protect the sacred Eucharist, but if Jesus says, come to me all who are hungry and you will be fed, I don't understand why someone of such great faith as my fiance cannot receive communion at Mass. There's a Catholic church in Bend, Oregon, recognized by the Archdiocese as a Catholic church that offers communion to any Christian person. I've not had the opportunity to attend Mass there, but this is the first church I've heard of doing this. Curious on your thoughts on this as well. Looking for any guidance and advice on understanding the church's teaching on the Eucharist for myself and my fiance. Thank you so much for your desire and dedication to bringing people closer to the Lord. You are a gift, Jordan. Jordan, God bless you. I'm so, 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 so grateful to receive your question. Yeah, and I definitely want to walk with you and your fiance in trying to maybe better understand why the church teaches what she teaches with regards to, to Holy Communion at, at Mass. So um, I guess the first thing to, to talk about is this, is what is Holy Communion? Holy Communion, we believe, is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Savior, Jesus Christ, right? This is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ is truly present in the Eucharist. And so when we receive communion at Mass, what we say is the body of Christ and the person receiving says, amen, which means like, yeah, I believe this to the point of death. Like this is truly real. This is truth. for me. And so we, first of all, don't want someone who's not Catholic to receive communion, not because we think we're better than them, than them because we're not, right? Uh, your, your boyfriend, your fiance, who is a Christian, he's just as much a member of the body of Christ as you and I are, right? He, he by his baptism, he shares in, in Jesus's body. Uh, he is a member of the body of Christ. He has received a charism of the Holy Spirit at his baptism, just like you and I have received charisms of the Holy Spirit as St. Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians, right? He has his charism. He is a particular member of the body. He is not only a person created in the image of God, he is a beloved son of God the Father by virtue of his baptism, by virtue of his Christianity. So he's just as much as a beloved son as I am and as you're a beloved daughter. He has charisms like we have. He is a member of the body of Christ. However, however, if he does not believe in the Eucharist, then if he went up to communion and said, I believe, but he does not believe that the Eucharist is the body of Christ, then he's lying. And we don't want anyone to ever lie. Like lying is a serious sin, especially lying to Jesus. That's what Judas did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas lied to Jesus, right? He said that he was his friend. He went to give him a kiss, which was a posture of his body. But in reality... He was straight up lying. We don't want anyone to lie and say, yeah, I believe this is the body of Christ, when in reality, they do not believe that it's the body of Jesus Christ. Another thing is this. You're not able to receive communion, and I'm not able to receive communion either right? until we've made our first reconciliation, right? And so you and I, 
were baptized as babies, unless you get baptized at Easter Sunday as an adult, you're perfect. But like, because baptism washes away original sin. However, for most of us, we were baptized when we we're you know babies, just like in the Old Testament. Uh, a person was brought into a covenant relationship with God on their parents' faith. On the eighth day, the child was circumcised. That was their way of coming into covenant relationship. St. Paul writes to us in Colossians and says, we no longer have to circumcise, now we baptize. And Jesus Christ said, let the children come to me. When the apostles went out and baptized all nations, as Christ gave them the great commission to do, they baptized all households. The early church father, St. Irenaeus, writes about this. St. Ignatius writes about this, about baptism. And they all are unanimous that we baptize babies in the early church. All right, so we're baptized as babies today. And when I say the early church, I mean like the 100s. It was already in writing that you're supposed to baptize babies. Okay, cool. So I was baptized as a baby. But by the time I was seven, I began to sin. I began to cut up. I began to disrespect my parents. I lied. I cheated on tests. I got in fights with my brothers. I I probably stole as a seven-year-old. I mean, I was bad. I, I probably said curse words. I wasn't like some kind of angel. Um, and so I was not in a posture at seven years old when I was in second grade to receive Holy Communion because I had sin on my soul now. Baptism, I was perfect. I was immaculate. But by the time I'm seven, I didn't sin quite a bit. And I knew what I was doing was wrong, and I chose to do it. I did it freely. And so I was not in a place to receive Holy Communion. Why do I say that? Well, because St. Paul writes to us in the Scriptures, in Corinthians, and he says that if we receive the body and the blood of our Lord unworthily, we're basically condemning ourselves. We're placing judgment on ourselves. And so so that we don't receive unworthily, we're supposed to examine our conscience. St. Paul makes it very clear that communion is not something we should take lightly. All right? Then what do we do? We examine our conscience. If we've discerned, I'm not in a place to receive communion, we must receive first God's mercy before we can receive God's body, blood, soul, and divinity. How do we receive God's mercy? Well, according to the Gospels and the early church Christians, it's through the sacrament of reconciliation. Jesus Christ in the Gospels breathed on the apostles and said, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you retain are retained. And so we're supposed to go to the apostles and their successors, the bishops and the, the ones that, the, that, that abide in communion with the bishops, the priests, who share in the sacramental graces and go to them. Who heals us? Who absolves us? Who frees us from sin? God does. right? God does. But how does he do it? It's through the priest. It's through the ministry of the priest. This isn't something that's isolated to um, the Catholic Church today, this is something that was very much present in the early church, in the scriptures, but also in Judaism. And do you remember the gospel a few weeks ago at Mass, whenever the ten lepers were, were healed? And after God healed them, Jesus Christ is God, he healed them. He said, go and present yourself to the priest. Why would he say that? Well, because in Leviticus, whenever a person had leprosy, if they were healed, they were healed by God. Whether they went to a doctor or a miracle happened, if they were healed, they were healed by God. But while they had leprosy, they were not allowed to be with the community in the camp. They had to isolate themselves. They could not be a part of the community. They could not worship with the community if they had leprosy. And so when they were healed, they would then go to the priest and the priest would examine them. This is in Leviticus 13 and Leviticus 14. The Lord said, Leviticus 14 writes, the Lord said, go to the priest, right? And the priest is the one who examines you and determines whether or not you are ready to come back in the communion of the people in the Old Testament. And then if the priest gave you permission, you were finally able to come. Now, who healed you? God. But the healing wasn't complete for the person until they went to the priest. Okay, that's not just for physical things like leprosy. In Leviticus as well, it says this, for spiritual things, if a man commits adultery with his slave woman, right, then 
and she's with betrothed to someone else, God can heal them only after he's gone to the priest, right? It's always been this way since the Old Testament. Jesus Christ did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. He came to complete this hermeneutic of continuity and bring it to fulfillment, completion. And so just like in the Old Testament, God healed, but through the ministry of his priest. In the New Testament, God heals, but through the ministry of his priest. So when we sin, you and I, before we were able to receive our first Holy Communion, we made our first reconciliation. If your fiance wants to receive Holy Communion, which I praise God for that, and I hope he does one day, then I would encourage him to imitate the rest of the body of Christ who are Catholics and go to first reconciliation, right? You have to go to first reconciliation, receive confirmation, right? Come into the, the, the fullness of the church to say, yes, I believe that this is the body of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ. I believe that I need to be in a state of grace. And I believe that being in a state of grace comes from baptism. But after I've sinned, after baptism, the way that God heals me, according to the scriptures, the word of God and tradition of the church, all the early church writings is through the hands of the priest. God does it, but through this ministry of the priest, just like one of my friends in Baton Rouge, Sister Dulce Maria, she has the charism of healing. People go to her, they pray with her, and then they're healed. God heals them, not Sister Dulce. It's God who's doing it, but through the ministry of this member of the body of Christ who has the charism of healing that she received from God at baptism, right? So I would encourage him, like, look, if, if he's really feeling drawn to communion, um, which I pray he is because communion, as Christ tells us, is the flesh and the blood of Christ. And if we eat the flesh of Christ and then drink the blood of Christ, we will have eternal life. Then I would encourage him to check out RCIA. Go to RCIA and ask his questions, like lean in deeper, wrestle with, with God and lean into the church and her 2000 year history, her 2000 year teachings, because God does want him to receive communion. But if he's going to do it, he should, he should do it the right way. Go about this the right way. Uh, yeah, uh, that's what I would say is this, is, is you and I weren't able to receive communion until we made our first reconciliation. So if he wants to receive communion, then I invite him to come into the church, receive first reconciliation and, uh, and experience the love of Christ in holy communion. So hopefully that was helpful. Let me know. Hit me up with another question just to let me know what he thinks. Maybe ask him also to write me a question so we can keep the dialogue going. Um, all right. Let's go on with our next question. Next question is about essential oils. Emma writes this. Hey, Father Josh, loving the podcast. I listen to them to help me focus before my theology homework. Praise God. Anyways, I have a follow-up question. A few episodes ago, you mentioned that essential oils may lead to the devil or evil. Can you elaborate on that? Thanks, praying for you, Emma. Emma, first of all, I don't remember saying that. So if I did say that, uh, I don't know what context I was talking about. Uh, so because I have my parishioners that use essential oils, I know religious sisters who use essential oils, and I know priests and seminarians who use essential oils. And as a matter of fact, uh, I have some essential oils in my house right now. So um, essential oils in and of themselves are not bad, right? They're not bad. Even in the Vatican, essential oils are used to clean a certain artwork in the museums of the Vatican. Um, essential oils can be used for cleaning. They can be used for therapeutic purposes. So there's nothing in and of themselves that are wrong. I, I know uh, some people have said that, but I think the people who are saying that are talking about specifically essential oils that are used by new age movement practitioners who might use essential oils and give credit to essential oils for things that really belong to, to God. And so like if people use them for like maybe like uh, energy alignment or something like that and, and, and believe that in and of themselves, the oil is giving them energy alignment like that, that's not good. But if essential oils are just used in general because 
Oils have been used throughout salvation history, throughout Scripture, in the Scripture, in Matthew 2.11, in John 12.3, in Mark 14.3, in Exodus 30, chapter 20, chapter 30, verse 22 through 36, in Revelation 8.4, like oils all over, all over Scripture. Um, oil has been used to heal people, like, like it's, it's medicinal, right? Um, but so as long as it's being used for those purposes, I don't see anything wrong with it. I think if someone used it uh, for New Age practices, uh, then that might be where it could be wrong because we're abusing it. It's like NyQuil. If I use NyQuil because I have a cold, which I have a sinus trip right now, so I'm popping NyQuil at night, right? and I'm drinking NyQuil at night, and I'm going to bed. Um, that's good. But if I was using NyQuil during the day, just because I like the way it makes me feel, I'll be abusing NyQuil. I think people could potentially abuse essential oils and any other gifts from God um, that he has given us. Um, so we just want to make sure that we we use it for its proper function and give credit to God where credit only belongs to God. Um, but yeah, so I, I think um, I think that should be an adequate adequate answer. But yeah, in of themselves, essential oils are fine. There's nothing wrong with them. Um, I, I guess when you, if you purchase them, just look into who you're purchasing them from. Um, cause potentially if you get them from a group who claims to be a new age group, then that might be where the danger lies. But if it's just like a regular essential oils company, I think it can be something beautiful that can help you have a healthier lifestyle, especially with regards to like getting rid of things that might cause cancer or getting rid of things that might cause um, other sickness in your, in your home. Uh, that a lot of people use uh, essential oils has, has diffusers and other things like that, that that can be good um it can be used for good uh so yeah let me know if that's helpful so bottom line is is in and of themselves essential oils are fine and i have essential oils here and just like anything else can be abused by people essential oils can also be abused um, and that is where it could lead to to evil if you're using something that god gave to us for your own purposes and not for that for which it was given to us. Let me know if that was a helpful response or if you want to dive deeper into that that question. So what do y'all think? Let me know. Hit me up with your own feedback uh, from these questions and let me know if y'all have any advice as as well. We're going to take a quick break and when we get back, we're going to dive into our final question about St. Paul and the works of the law. All right. God bless. Reading the Bible is something we as Catholics know we should do, but let's be honest, it can be kind of complicated. Even though it's a complete story, the Bible isn't really one book. It's more like a library with dozens of books and dozens of genres. There's poetry, prophecy, and prose. There are apocalypses and revelations, historical accounts, and allegories. No wonder it's difficult to keep a finger on the story of God's love and plan of salvation for his people, the thread that keeps all of it together. If you're wishing there was a simple guide to help you tie all of this together, then you're just like Jeff Cavins and Tim Gray. That's why they wrote the book, Walking with God. Walking with God is a single book that traces the story that ties the Bible together. It helps you to understand the big picture of the Bible If you're looking to read more of the Bible, Walking with God will help you do it with confidence, peace, and clarity. You can find out more and order Walking with God on ascensionpress.com or on Amazon. All right, and we are back. Uh, Final question is coming in from Kennedy. Kennedy writes this, Hey, Father Josh, thank you so much for constantly reading and answering my emails on your podcast. The explanation of St. Peter as the first pope helped me a ton and affirmed what I already believe to be true in my heart. Another question, could you help me process the book of Galatians? 
In Galatians, Paul talks about how the law does not justify you, but it's through faith that a person has life. Reading this entire book, my head goes straight to the Protestant view on salvation and how they could use Galatians to justify their beliefs that faith alone leads to salvation. I just need help understanding what Paul is saying and what that means for us Catholics. Help a girl out. Also, shout out to my homegirl, Livia Kay, for being the best Catholic friend I could ever ask for. Could you say a special prayer for her? Yes, God, the Father of love and mercy, send forth your Holy Spirit to bless Olivia Kay and her walk toward eternity and help her become a great saint who abides in you not only now but forever in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. All right, Kennedy, yeah, this is a, it's, it can be confusing. Um, so first of all, um, I, I think most Pro- Protestants don't believe faith alone leads to salvation. They believe grace leads to salvation, but grace through faith alone. Um, so just to like, I guess, be a little bit more technical with our language. Um, so, but again, faith alone is not scriptural. Sola fide was given to um, Christians by Martin Luther, who was a Catholic priest who broke away from the Catholic Church because he saw corruption in people in the Catholic Church. And so instead of reforming the Catholic Church from within, he revolted and put us in a situation where now where a new church is being founded every day that disagrees with other members of the body of Christ and causes further division and division and division and just does not console the heart of Jesus. So faith alone is definitely not scripture. If you read James chapter 2, verse 24, he says, faith without works is, get this, dead. It's the word of God. Faith without works is dead. And St. Paul also agrees with James because St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians um, that, that faith without love is nothing. Faith without love means nothing. And so what does Paul mean when he's writing to the church in Galatians, which is actually one of my favorite scriptures. I, I love it when he says, you stupid Galatians. One of my brother's seminarians uh, at St. Ben's, Jorge, he's not a priest, Father Jorge Carranza. What's up, Father Jorge? One time he was reading from Mass, and uh, I just love the way he reads. And when he got to that verse, he said, you stupid Galatians. And everybody in the church busted out laughing. Um, and I can imagine that's probably how Paul said it as well. But what Paul is talking about with the the works of the law um, is he's talking about the ceremonial works of the law. Um, for for Jews, uh, they had the law that got, that they received from Moses, and part of the law was that you had to be circumcised. That was required by the law. And so uh, what St. Paul is now saying is that those works of the law are no longer necessary. You don't have to be circumcised to, to come into faith. You don't have to be circumcised to come into a relationship, covenant relationship with, with God, right? We now know the way you come into covenant relationship with God is through baptism. As Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, that baptism saves us, right? We're born again through baptism. And so uh, there were ceremonial laws that include some dietary restrictions. That's what separated Jews from Galatians as well as circumcision, right? Jews could not eat certain foods. And so it was part of the law that they could not eat certain foods. And so St. Paul saying those works of the law are no longer necessary. Those works of the law will not save you. Um, so for some scriptures that you might want to might want to pray with, I would encourage you to go to Romans 3.30 and Galatians 2.16. Um, that way uh, you can lean deeper into the, the word of God to to get some further insight from, from the saints themselves who have preceded us in our walk toward eternity. And so, yeah, hopefully that was a, a pretty straightforward answer for you. Kennedy, let me know. All right, so that brings us to the end of today's show. Don't forget, rate us, review us on iTunes, other podcast formats. Send your questions, Josh at ascensionpress.com. Uh, hit me up on Instagram uh, to, to just let me know your thoughts on everything, Facebook, Twitter as well, and share the post the podcast, the content 
on your social media as well so other people can find out about the gift of the show. If it's helpful for you, maybe it might be helpful for them as well. All right, let's pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to sing a song to you today. I'm, I'm in the mood for some gospel music. Order my steps in your word, O oh Lord. Lead me, guide me every day. Send your anointing, Father, I pray. Order my steps in your word. Please order my steps in your word. Oh, come on, Lord. Y'all hear the saints singing behind me? Y'all like, Father Josh, please stop singing. We want to hear the saints sing, not you. Do you hear the angels singing? Because I can hear them singing right now. They're praising God. God, order us. Order our thoughts, order our words, order our actions in your sacred scriptures, in your word inscribed, in the word of God. Lord Jesus Christ, I ask you to give us a desire to pray more, to lean in more to your word before we go to a spiritual book, before we go to an apologetic book, before we go to a book on discipleship or catechesis or evangelization or justice. Give us the grace, God, to, to lean into your word, inscribe your love letter that was written for us to help us to abide in relationship with you, God. We praise you for giving us your voice concretized in the sacred scriptures. Help us to long, to desire more for your word, to read these words contemplate your words, put your words into practice. Lord, more than I breathe, let me long to live on your word. More than water, God, I can go without water for a day. More than food, Jesus, I can go without food for a couple of days. Help me to long for your word the way I long for breath, to breathe air. Let me long for your scriptures so that I can be ordered in all my thoughts words, actions, ministry, sentiments, dispositions, and help everyone who listens to this podcast to just fall ever more in love with your word. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless. I'll see you next week. 